Good to see everyone in the house of the Lord this day. It's a beautiful day outside. Beautiful day inside. Amen. Praise the Lord. We're on the book of Philippians. Pastor Chad's had us here for a few weeks, so I'm going to continue in that vein. And uh, we're going to look at Philippians 4, 4 through 8 today. Philippians 4, 4 through 8. There's a lot of famous verses in Philippians, and you've heard some of them be preached to you over the past few weeks. Like Philippians 1, 6 says, Being confident of this very thing, he which hath began a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. It's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Pastor Chad preached a lesson a couple weeks ago on sanctification, how sanctification is a progressive process, how we're justified when we're saved, but becoming sanctified is something we do the rest of our life here on the earth. And uh, he preached a fantastic lesson on that. By the way, I'm proud of Pastor Chad for taking this mission trip. I think that's really a cool thing to do. Amen. I know a lot of guys that wouldn't do something like that. So this, for him to do that and the people that went with him to take their valuable, precious time and give it to the crab trees and their ministry down there, helping them build that ministry. It's just, a, it's a beautiful thing. So pray for them all week long while they're down there on the border of Mexico. And I know the Lord's going to be with them and use them and bless the work of their hands. Another verse in Philippians that's famous, it's one of my favorites, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2, 5. And pastor, I mean, brother, uh, Reverend Stephen Beatty preached that a few weeks ago in a powerful way. Didn't y'all enjoy Brother Stephen's message? Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap for that. Amen. It was powerful. Talked about the stairway of Christ and his divinity down to the humanity of Jesus all the way to the cross. Just a beautiful ch chapter of Philippians 2. Also in that chapter is a famous verse, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul was saying he couldn't be with them at that time. He was away from them, so they need to work it out on their own. Your pastor can't do that for you. A priest can't do that. You know, your, your, your best friend can't do that. You've got to work that out on your own. Amen. It's, it's what's cool about walking with God. We all have our own personal relationship with him. Then Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That's been a favorite of mine over the years. Because, you know, sometimes I don't have the do in me. And I get to looking at it, I don't even have the willingness to do it. So a lot of times I'll just pray, Lord, make me willing. If you'll, if you'll pray that way, Lord, make me willing, he will put you in a circumstance and a situation that will break your will and get you to totally trust in him. It takes a little faith to pray that way, but if you're real for God, you'll pray that way. Lord, just make me willing. You put the will in me, then put the do in me. Not only am I going to be willing, but one day I'm going to do exactly what you've asked me to do. And then the other one I want to point out to you is Philippians 3.13. says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was obviously saved. He had a tremendous salvation experience on the road to Damascus. 
But here Paul was saying something beyond that. He was saying, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There's a growing up in God. For all of us, there's a, there's a mark, there's a prize, there's a high calling that God's called you to. None of us are supposed to stay as babe, babes in Christ. We're supposed to get weaned from the milk of the Word of God and, and sink our teeth into the meat of the Word of God and grow to the measure, the statue, the fullness of Christ. Are y'all out there with me this morning? So uh, anyway, Philippians 3, another powerful verse. I think Brother Beatty called these coffee cup verses. Is that what you called them? They're on, they're on our refrigerators at the house. They're, they're all over the place. Coffee cups, bumper stickers. Just powerful. Uh, before I dive into our text today, I, I want to give us just a little context on Philippians. Just so you'll understand the book a little better. You know, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke traveled on Paul's second missionary journey. And they didn't even know where they were going. They kept praying and kept trying to go somewhere. And the Holy Spirit kept saying, no, want you to go here. You can't go there. Don't want you to preach there. Finally, Paul had a dream about the people of Macedonia. So he sailed to Macedonia. And he, got, he landed at the little place called Philippi. And this was, was going to be the very first church in Europe. It's a powerful thing. We think of the Mayflower voyage as our, one of the most famous voyages of, you know, that brought the, the pilgrims to America. But even a more famous voyage and more significant voyage was Paul's voyage to Philippi because there the gospel came to the continent of Europe. And uh, so they get there. The Bible says they stay there in Philippi some days. Then on the Sabbath day, there obviously wasn't a synagogue in that city because Paul always went to the synagogues and preached. So they went to the river. There was a place, the river, where people came and worshiped God and prayed. And Paul was there, and he shared the gospel. And there was a lady named Lydia there. Lydia was a, a, a merchant lady. The Bible called her a seller of purple. And the Bible says that God opened her heart where she could understand the words of Paul as he shared the gospel with her. And she got saved and her house, and he baptized them all. And those were the first converts of the church in Philippi. And then the Bible says, as he's making his trip down to the river on another day, there was a little demon-possessed girl. She had a spirit of divination in her. She was a fortune teller. And there were some guys made a bunch of money from this girl because she could tell everyone their fortune. And she was scoffing and scorning Paul as he walked. And he finally got annoyed with it and got tired of it, turned around and rebuked the devil in her in the name of Jesus. And the, little, and the devil came out of that little slave girl. And that was the second convert there that the Bible records of the church. This is how this church was formed. It, it got the guys that owned and controlled the slave girl. Now they couldn't make money with their fortune telling, so they got angry and brought Paul before the leaders of the city and the crowd gathered and the magistrates all you know were pronouncing judgment on Paul and they said they ripped their clothes off of him and beat him with rods so there and then threw him in the prison and told the jailer to make sure they don't get out so he put them in the inner prison and and bound their feet with stocks and chains and locked the prison doors 
So there was Paul and Silas. They were bloodied and bruised and beaten. And the Bible says at midnight, they were complaining. No, that's me and you, that's us. At midnight, they were praying and singing hymns to the Lord. And the Bible said a great earthquake came that shook the very foundation of the prison. And all the prison doors just flew open and all the chains just fell off of their feet and their hands. The stocks were broken, the chains were loosed. And the jailer saw that and he realized that all the prisoners were about to escape on him. So he took a sword and he was about to kill himself. And Paul saw this and yelled at him and said, hey, don't cause yourself any harm. We're all still right here. We ain't gone anywhere. And the jailer comes and throws himself down at the feet of Paul and Silas and says, what must I do to be saved? And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, you and your household. So the Bible says they went and washed up Paul and Silas and got all the blood cleaned up off of them. Then they shared the gospel with the jailer in his house and they took them and all, got them all baptized right there that night. And those were the next converts to the church of Philippi. So you had Lydia and her household, a merchant lady, and she had a big enough house where she invited Paul and Silas, Luke and Timothy to stay with her while they were at Philippi. So it was a, obviously a, probably a successful merchant lady. You had the little slave girl who got delivered and you had the jailer in his whole household. And that's how the church started there at Philippi. So Paul was obviously very close to this group of people. You could tell in the letter that he loved them. He felt like they were his friends. He was close to them. And um, he wrote this letter some uh, 12 years after the church was formed. The church was probably formed in 49 or 50 AD. And Paul probably wrote this letter in 62 AD as he was a prisoner in a Roman jail cell of some sort, would be at house arrest or what, I'm not sure, but he was a prisoner at the time in Rome. And the Philippian church had its problems because there was a division in the church, and there was contention. But this was basically a very strong church. It, you know, it wasn't like the church of Corinth, which had all kind of moral issues, immoral issues. It was just, a, they, had, they, were, they, they were dealing with everything at Corinth. And it wasn't like the church of Galatia where they let some false doctrine come in and threaten the very existence of the church there. Philipp, the church at Philippians was a strong church. And this letter was basically a letter of encouragement to them. Paul here 12 years later was writing to his old friends and he was encouraging them. And the letter's full of encouragement. It's full of words like joy and rejoice. And uh, we're going to look at that in just a minute. But it was, a, it was a powerful church, and this is one of the most powerful letters ever written. I always wondered if Paul had any idea at all that his letters would become the very Word of God. Just so powerful. It's one of these verses, you just read them, and they speak life to you. They change the way you think. You can go from sadness to joy just like that, just by speaking the life here in the Word of God. I love the Word of God. So let's, let's dive into our text. Does that give you some kind of context? On, on the, on? So the, the text is Philippians 4. We're going to start with 4, 4 through 7. And I'm going to read in the New King James first. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So powerful. Let's read that in the New Living Translation. Let's just see how this feels to you. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Remember, the Lord's coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I could just go home, man. That's, that's so powerful. It preaches itself, doesn't it? Wow. So we start with rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Look at the meaning of the word rejoice. In Greek, it's the word's kairo. It means to rejoice, to be glad, to be well, to thrive, to rejoice exceedingly, to be full of cheer, happy, well-off joy. Joy. The words joy and rejoice are used 16 times in the book of Philippians. The Bible says in Nehemiah 8.10, Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Where's your joy today? Beloved, I know what it's like as a Christian to walk in joy, and I know what it's like to lose my joy. I've been there and I've done that. There's a time in my life where I drifted away from God, and guess what the first thing to go? was my joy. And I I never will forget the day I found my way back to God. The first thing I discovered again was my joy came back. So if you're a backslidden Christian today, you've lost your joy, there's hope for you, beloved. Jesus has joy. In fact, let's look at this verse in John 15, verse 9. These are the words of Jesus. He says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. So Jesus has a joy. He lives in our heart, and his joy lives in our heart. He wants you to learn how to abide in him and his word abide in you that you might remain with this joy, that this joy won't leave you. Joy is something more powerful than happiness. I look at happiness as the thing that you get when you get your way. I mean, when everything goes just the way you want it to, you're happy. Or let me say that about myself. I'm happy when everything's going my way. Joy is something that when nothing's going your way, you can still have this joy. It's not dependent upon circumstances and situations. It, it's just, it comes from the Lord. It comes from your relationship with the Lord. You can have a joy in the middle of a storm. The joy is your, very, it's your strength, the Bible says. When you lose your joy, you lose your strength. You lose your strength, you lose your faith, you lose your courage. 
joy so important? And, and look here in James 1, 2, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So when you fall into great trials, the Apostle James here is saying, count that joy. Mark that up for joy right there. doesn't matter what you're going through in life, beloved. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And God wants you to hold that and embrace that and live with that. I mean, there's nothing greater than just being so indescribably happy when nothing's even going right in life. Man, I, I'll take that any day. That, that gives me a peaceful mind. It gives me a sane mind. Helps me want to keep walking on with God. The joy of the Lord, your strength. So rejoice. He said, rejoice, I say. Rejoice. He said it twice. Let's look at these few verses on rejoice. This is a day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We should be rejoicing just because we're above ground today. We've got another 24 hours to embrace here. Man, look, there's sunshine outside. There's, there's something to rejoice about just because we got another day. My soul, Psalms 35, 9, my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. Are you excited that you're saved today? If you're saved and you realize what that means, there's enough reason right there to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord for his salvation. Man, I could be lost, down, doomed, on my way to hell. But Jesus died for me and rose from the dead and conquered death, hell, and the grave. And he saved me and came inside my heart and washed me in his blood that all my sins now would be washed away. I'm in right standing with God today. I've been justified. I've been redeemed. I've been sanctified. I got a reason to rejoice. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye upright in heart. You're righteous not because of what you've done. You're righteous because of what he has done. You're righteous not because of, of the list of do's and don'ts that you've accomplished properly. No, you're righteous because Jesus Christ lived a perfect life for you 2,000 years ago. He made us righteous. When I just meditate on that for just a minute, what does that make me want to do? Rejoice. <laughs> Rejoice. Ye righteous, shout for joy, all you upright of heart. Now you're saying, well, I'm not upright. Yeah, you're upright of heart because he, he gave you a new heart. Rejoice. Uh-oh. Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let us such love thy salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. Come and magnify the Lord with me. When you magnify God, you don't make him bigger. It's like putting something under a magnifying glass. You just see it bigger. So when I magnify the Lord, I'm not enlarging him. I'm just magnifying him to where you can see him a little bit bigger than what you're seeing him right now. And you need to learn to magnify the Lord for others. Mag come, let us magnify him. Let's magnify his name. The Bible says, let those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let us such love thy salvation, say continually, 
the Lord be magnified. So we take our joy from Jesus. He's a source of joy. And we rejoice in Him, in our relationship with Him. We're just so excited that we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It makes me want to rejoice. Because Psalm 63, 7, Because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. In the Old Testament, that's where the presence of God was in the Holy of Holies on the Ark of the Covenant. On top of the Ark was the mercy seat, which was, had these two big cherubs over the mercy seat. And when the Bible talks about the shadow of the wings, he's talking about the presence of God that dwelt there on the mercy seat. And that's in the Old Testament. That was where the presence was. That's what you had to do to experience the presence. In the New Testament, now the presence of God's in us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. And what's neat, you can come to church and start worshiping with a bunch of people, and all of a sudden you become aware of the presence. And that's enough to shout over right there. It's enough to rejoice over. I mean, it makes me want to just run around the building sometimes when I think about because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. I'll rejoice just because of the presence of God. That I, that I can know God in such an intimate way that I can feel his presence and be aware of his presence. When I'm singing or when I'm driving down the road, when I'm worshiping with you or whether I'm by myself in my study, I'm so grateful that we can feel the presence of God. Wow, that's enough to rejoice over. And then Psalm 68, 3, Let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. Sometimes you just got to exceedingly rejoice. You just got to shout. Sometimes you got to get loud. God don't want us to always be loud, but sometimes he wants you loud. He wants you to shout. Make a joyful noise, Psalms 98, 4. Unto the Lord, all ye earth, make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. Like I say, sometimes you need to get loud. Could y'all just shout one time real loud? All right. <laughs> I like that. Beautiful. Let's learn to rejoice. Now, the Bible says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Then he says don't worry about anything. 90% of the things you worry about never take place. That's not in the Bible. That's straight from my dad, all right? But I believe it's true. And I'll tell you one thing I know for sure. Worry is the opposite of trusting in God. And I was going to preach on this, but I learned that Sister Rachel is actually studying on this subject of anxiety and worry. And she's going to preach this next Sunday. Are y'all excited about hearing that? We all need help with that. Amen. We got to learn to quit worrying. Stop worrying about it. You're not trusting God. All this anxiety is not of God. It's of the devil. And I know every one of us suffer this. So we're looking forward to that, Sister Rachel. We're, we are pumped up and ready for that next week. Amen. So the Bible says don't worry about anything. Then it says instead... Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. Instead of worry and pray, we need to learn to pray. And here's our prayer. The Bible says in Thessalonians 1, pray without ceasing. Here He said, pray about 
everything. God wants us to learn to pray, pray, and pray. And our prayers need to first be upward, then inward, then outward. Sometimes people approach prayer as a shopping list. And as soon as they start praying, they start listing off the things they need or the people they're praying for. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what if you had a friend in life that every time you saw this friend, all he did was come up to you and start asking you for things? What if every time I saw Scotty, he's going to say, hey, man, I need 10 bucks. Can you give me or give me, lend me 20 bucks? Hey, I got this problem. Would you solve this problem for me? Hey, my truck's broke. Would you fix my truck for me? What if, what if our relationship was nothing but me asking you things every time you saw me? It, would, it wouldn't be any fun at all. We have some relationships like that in life, right? When you see people, they look at you as a meal ticket or something. somebody's going to give them something. Well, see, our, that's fine. That's a relationship. But God wants so much more intimacy than that. He doesn't want us where all we do is come to him with our list, our shopping list, and, and say, here, God, I need you to do all this for me today. That's prayer, but that's not the way Jesus taught us to pray. Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, go upward, then inward, then outward. Let's look at that. Our Father, which art in heaven, this is New King James, hallowed be your name. See, that's upward. Very first thing I do when I approach God, I'm going to hallow his name. Your name is holy, it's righteous, it's just, it's true, it's beautiful. I'm going to praise your name. I'm going to rejoice in you. First, when you, when you come into his presence, you come into his presence with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. The first thing you do is hallow the Lord's name in your prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, God, I don't want my own will. You bring your will down from heaven to earth and make it a reality right here in my life. Then he says, then you start praying for your own soul. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. In other words, forgive me my sins as we forgive our, those who have sinned against us, as we forgive our debtors. Inward. Now you're inward. You were upward when you're hallowing his name. Now you're inward saying, forgive me, Lord. You know, have mercy on my soul. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. In the model prayer, he doesn't even have you praying for other people or things. This is about you and him first. So you need to spend a little time in the morning when you're with him, hallowing his name, just loving on him. And then let's go back to self-examination inwardly. Let's examine in my own heart, confess my sins to him, repent of anything that needs to be repented of, and, and get that right. Get, get my intimacy with God where it needs to be. Get close to him. Just love on him. Enjoy your relationship with him. You know, like you would do to your wife or your husband or your children. Just enjoy the time spent alone with them. And then he wants you to pray for others. It's fine to pray for I pray for, I got a long list of people I pray for every day of my life. But I don't just do that. I pray every time I get in my pickup truck that I won't have a wreck. 
the older I get, the more I pray that prayer. I mean, I just, I'm thinking, this, this stresses me out, just driving that truck all the time. There's a lot of idiots out there on the road, you know. You don't know what they're going to do. So, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't drive without praying. We pray before we eat, amen. amen. There's, there's times of prayer. I pray under my breath all day long. I'm talking to the Lord. But I've, I've gotten away from this shopping list mentality of when I'm praying for others and things and situations, you know, where that's not the focus of my prayer. My prayer is first upward, then it's inward, getting things right between me and him, and then it's outward. I hope y'all see that. That'll help you right there. Then it says, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. With thanksgiving. So it says, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything, but do it with a thankful heart. Do it with thanksgiving. And when you're praying, beloved, we need to always be thankful. The Bible says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. With thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. We all can give him thanks for sunshine. Do we thank him on rainy, cloudy days? We all give him thanks when financially all the, the money's coming in and all the bills are paid. But what about those pressure times when there's more bills than there's money? We all give him thanks when we're walking in great health. But when you find out something's pretty serious wrong with you, what do you do with your attitude at that point? My, my point I'm trying to make is even the heathen can give God thanks when everything's going their way. But beloved, he wants us to give thanks in every situation, no matter what it is. He wants us to give thanks for our current government right now, for the coronavirus right now. You say, well, I'm just not going to thank him for the coronavirus. Well, it's not a pleasant thing. It's a, it's a negative thing. It's, it's taken valuable lives. But, you know, the Bible says to thank him in all things, in every situation, for all things. doesn't mean all things are good, but the Bible says he's going to work for the good in all things. Are you all following that? It doesn't mean... The coronavirus, I'm not saying coronavirus is a good thing, it's a terrible thing. I'm sick of it, to tell you the truth. I'm sick of wearing masks, I'm sick of having to run from it, I'm sick of talking about it, thinking about it. But nevertheless, it's reality. It's taken precious lives. And you can get mad about it or you can thank God for it. I want to just learn how to thank God in every situation I'm in. Jehoshaphat thanked God in the midst of great enemies. He had enemies on every side, surrounding him, hordes of them, like grasshoppers, like the sands of the sea. And he, instead of fighting, God said, get the band together, Jehoshaphat. I want you boys to go out and play a tune, and we're going get, to get a few boys out, and we're going to start just praising God. So Jehoshaphat, and see, that was his army, the band. And they just started worshiping God and praising God, and the Lord turned the enemies on each other and killed them all. You'll learn to, you'll win a lot of victories in life if you learn to just get your attitude straight and, and have an attitude of gratitude or thanksgiving.
Gratitude is not only the greatest of virtues, but the parent of all others. I've, I've often heard it called the mother of all virtue. Gratitude is the single most important ingredient to living a successful and feel, fulfilled life. It's not happy people who are thankful. It's thankful people who are happy. Y'all like that one. Write that one down then. It's not happy people who are thankful. It's thankful people who are happy. Gratitude turns what we have into enough. If you can just be grateful for what you have, that'll be enough. That's what contentment's all about. Learn to be grateful for what you have. I love this next one from Helen Keller. She was blind and deaf. And she said, so much has been given to me, I have no time to ponder over that which has been denied. Wow. If you were blind and deaf, could, would you have an attitude like that? And then Piglet. <laughs> he noticed that even though he had a very small heart, it could hold a rather large amount of gratitude. That's pretty cute right there. I knew you'd like that. Then our text reads, says, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. There's a peace with God, and then there's the peace of God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, if you're a lost sinner today, you're at odds with God. You're, God's your enemy you, you're his enemy. You're, you're, there's, a, there's a wall up, and the wrath of God is going to come down on you and condemn you. But Jesus came. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Jesus came to remove that dividing wall between man and God. Jesus came to satisfy the wrath of God. God's wrath was poured out on Jesus at Calvary's cross. His wrath, his fury, his anger, his justice, his holiness, all the justice against sin was poured upon the Son of God on the cross. And therefore, the wrath of God was satisfied. And we, I have peace with God today because of what Jesus did on the cross. I'm not looking over my shoulder thinking God's angry at me. God's happy with me because I'm in right relationship with him because of what Jesus has done for me and I just put my faith in him. I have peace with God. But there's a greater thing. There's a peace of God. The peace of God surpasses all understanding. The peace of God will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. There's a peace that God gives you that even in the stormiest times of life, you can have this tremendous peace of mind. It is true, and it's so real. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've survived trials because he's given me this tremendous, unexplainable peace, a peace of a calmness, a rest in the midst of storms and trials and tribulation. Isaiah 26.3 says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, shalom, shalom, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. 
God's got this amazing peace, peace, shalom, shalom, this rest. You don't have to be full of anxiety and strife and stress and worry and fear. Beloved, Jesus would take all that away and just exchange that with peace, a peace that passeth all understanding. And then the final verse on the text today is Philippians 4.8. I'm going to read it in New King James first and then LT. It says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Let's see how it feels in the NLT. New Living Translation. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. I like that a lot. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Fix your thoughts. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, 7, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. You are what you think. You are in a, the culmination of your thought life. That's who you are is what you think. 1 Peter 1, 13 says, Gird up the loins of your mind. Your mind will procreate and multiply thoughts. You got an image factory going on there in your head, and it would start generating thoughts. And if you're not careful, your mind will run away with itself like a train without an engineer. It's set on the tracks, and it will just take off running. But God wants you to control your thinking. Look at 2 Corinthians 10:5, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Every thought into captivity. Every thought, I'm going to gird up the loins of my mind. I'm going to control my thinking. You say, well, I can't control my feelings. No, you really can't. But you can't control your thinking, and your thinking is what's producing those feelings. And if you'll learn not to let your mind just run away with itself, because the devil's got a, he's got a, a train there if you j let him jump on it, he'll drive your train, and he'll have you thinking all the wrong things. You think negative, you're going to live negative. Think, some people are just negative people. and Why? Because they think about negative things. I can't read the news without feeling bad. All I got to do is read the Fox app on my phone, and if I spend 10 minutes meditating on that junk, I get to feeling bad. Why? Because I'm thinking on the wrong things. So I turn that off and get into the Word of God and think on something true and just and right and beautiful. All of a sudden, my feelings change. All of a sudden, the burden lifts. <clears throat> you can control your thinking. Think on things that are true. Well, what is true about God? Well, let's just think on that for a minute. The Bible says, fix your thoughts. Think on things that are true. What's true about God? He's eternal. He's infinite. He's full of unconditional love. He loves me unconditionally. He loves you unconditionally. 
He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. Means he's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. Think on things about God that are true. God is not like Santa Claus or a traffic cop. You know it's the Santa God that you believe in. Making a list, checking it twice, going to find out who's naughty or nice. <laughs> knows when you've been sleeping, knows when you're awake, knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. Santa Claus God. Yeah, that's what some people have an image of God like Santa. Or a traffic cop, handing out tickets all the time. Every time you do something bad, you think you're getting another citation, another ticket. You think God just loves handing you tickets. Those are wrong images of God. Think on the one that's true. Hey, he's a eternal, infinite, all-powerful, that loves me unconditionally. Wow, he's my father. I'm his child. I'm an heir to the throne. There's so many good things to think. Think about something true. Start your day with the truth. Then think about your relationship with God through Jesus. What's true about that? I'm forgiven, number one. <laughs> All the things I've done wrong in life, I'm telling you what, this is the greatest news in the world. I've been forgiven. He's wiped my slate clean. He's washed me in his blood. He's made me white as snow. I'm forgiven. I walk in forgiveness. I'm, ex I'm loved. I'm accepted. Accepted in the beloved. I'm, I'm accepted. I have a seat at the family table. I'm a child of God and accepted into his family. And then what's true about the way God sees you? Well, in Christ. I'm in Christ, so when he looks at me, he's not seeing the bill outside of Christ. I'm not Bill on my own over here. No, I'm in Christ. I'm totally dependent upon him. He's in my heart. I'm in his heart. I asked him to come into my heart when I got saved. He asked me to come into his so we swap there. I'm now in Christ. In Christ, I'm redeemed. Yes. I'm sanctified. Yes. I'm justified. I've been made righteous. Yes. Now I have a new heart. He gave me a brand new heart. I have a new man. My old man is dead. I'm not dying daily trying to continue to kill and wrestle that old man. He's already dead. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Romans 6, the old man's dead. I'm not dying daily anymore. Look that up in the New Living Translation, NLT. Paul's saying, I'm not risking my life every day. I'm out there risking my life every day. Not that he's trying to take his old man and wrestle him to the ground and die to the old man every day. No, learn to walk in your new identity. Think on things that are true. The Bible said, fix your mind on things that are true. Fix your thoughts. Okay, I'm going to think on true. What's true about God? What's true about my relationship with God? How does God see me right now? He looks down right now and he doesn't see my sin at all. No, he sees Christ covering me. He sees me inside of Christ. I'm hidden in Christ, in God. Are y'all hearing that? I've got a new man, a new name, a new identity. I'm going to live out of that new identity. As long as I know that's who I am in Christ, I'm going to live that way. Now I'm going to live beyond and above sin because I've got Jesus 
living his life for me and through me that I could never have done on my own. I don't know if I'm making any sense or not. Think on the truth. I'm just saying think on something that's true every day. So you can start with it, hallowing the name of the Lord. The Lord's Prayer again. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Lord, your name is holy. Your name is true. It's just. It's right. It's pure. It's beautiful. You're just. You're fair. You're a good God, full of goodness and grace, full of mercy. Think on things that are true. Think on what's true about God and what's true about your relationship with God. You do that. Fix your thoughts that way. Fix your thoughts. Get a hold of your mind. Quit letting your mind just take off and run down Satan's railroad track. Now, jump in the engine of that thing and control your thoughts. You start learning to control your thoughts, you'll control your feelings. And you learn to control your feelings, you'll learn to walk in happiness and joy and peace. You don't have to be full of anxiety and worry and fear. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. amen. All right. Well, that's our lesson for today. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's stand and we'll pray. If there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then this is a great day to get to know Him. As the Bible said to Lydia, the Bible says the Lord opened her understanding and she understood the words of Paul and she got saved. So I pray right now that if the Lord just has opened your understanding and you'd like to be saved today, then you walk down this aisle while I'm praying and I'll stop and pray especially for you and help you know the Lord personally. I can help you, lead you to that kind of relationship. Let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. We love the life that's in your word. We love the strength and the energy that we get from reading your word and hearing your word. Lord, the faith that we get. Lord, I just I appreciate the faith that comes from your word. And I just pray that you would open all our understanding today and help us understand Philippians better than we ever have. Help us understand this text here in 4, four through 8 better than we have. That you would teach us to fix our thoughts on what is true and honorable, noble, just, pure, lovely, a good report. Help us learn to fix our thoughts on you, Jesus, where we would live each day in a way that brings you glory and honor and praise. Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, I pray you'd give them the courage to walk down the aisle right now. They could walk to this altar and that we'll pray with them and help them right now in Jesus' name. And Lord, for all these that do, I pray that you'd be with them as they travel today and bring them back to your house the next appointed time. We pray for Brother Chad and the mission team down in Mexico or the border of Mexico right now. I pray that you'd bless the work of their hands. And Lord, that you would be with them and comfort them, guide them, lead them, and help them do everything that, they've, that you've sent them to do. And we pray that you bring them back to us safely. We love this church, Lord Jesus. We thank you for Return Church. And I just pray for your blessings on return. In Jesus' name, amen.